0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Hey guys, this is Stephen Hagelin, the host of the guilty of charge podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show. As always, we do appreciate any ratings, reviews, likes, subscribes, comments, on any podcast platform, including YouTube. And I want to start today off by giving a shout out to one of our sponsors, the Backroom Collection. You can find him Twitter at the Backroom C O L two. Again, that's the Backroom C O L two. he has been putting out some fire chargers prints. And I think any football fan should check him out and be able to upgrade their man cave, their workout, you know, situation, their home office, their actual office. Check him out online, TheBackroomCollection.net. collection.net. If you use the code GAC, that's G-A-C, on your first purchase, you get 10% off. He is even going to be able to attend a Justin Herbert signing. He's got a bunch of Justin Herbert prints that he will have signed by the man himself. Again, use the code GAC for 10% off at thebackroomcollection.net. Thank you so much for supporting him and our show. That being said, let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome inside the Get The Is Charged podcast. Uh, Alex is unavailable today, so it's just me and Tyler, who was almost unavailable today. bit of a a crazy (laughs) evening for us uh, doing the show on Tuesday as opposed to Thursday. But uh, happy to be here with Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing, man?
2: Doing well. Just scrambling a little bit because of all the experiments I had to do. And, you know, because the holidays were shifting things. But uh, we showed up. I showed up. We are awake. um, So that's half the battle
1: we are awake. that is half the battle so uh really excited about this uh upcoming game i'm going to be mm-hmm. in utah watching it with my family so it's gonna be a bit of a change uh you know i mentioned none of them are chargers fans so they'll get to experience uh hopefully a calm chargers game hopefully they won't experience a, a crazy chargers game um yeah but that really excited for that one um so show's going to be a little bit different, obviously, uh, because, you know, we don't have any injury updates or anything. Um, uh, all, we, all we have right now, uh, essentially on the injury front, is that Linval Joseph is on the COVID list, uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. tested positive. He is confirmed to be unvaccinated. So he will miss this Sunday's game, potentially more, depending on how that goes. Um, Jerry Tillery uh, apparently is asymptomatic, according to Brandon Staley's press conference press conference from yesterday. So it looks like he is going to play. And then uh Christian Covington was deemed as day to day. So that one seems a little bit iffy. So um the young guns, Joe Gaziano and Braden Fajoko are going to have another week, it looks like, uh, and potentially Forrest Merrill as well, depending on uh Christian Covington's status.
2: Yeah, I mean as much as I want some guys to play and I want them to show what they have, I also want to see these young guys. I want to know if they look can they repeat this performance? I always, when I coach, I always tell my students, you can get a skill once, and maybe that's just lucky. But if you do it twice, then you really have it. And so I want to see this interior group repeat. Um, these guys took a lot of pride in stopping the run. It looked like they were just, I mean, I don't remember a time this season where I thought that the Chargers could stop a running back at the goal line. But right. they did it consistently, and there were multiple guys. One particular play I highlighted on Twitter, it was Fahoko, it was Bosa, it was Jones, it was Gaziano, it was Mosu. Everyone stood their ground. Everyone performed perfectly in key moments. Really, really impressive. So I hope they can pull it off. Fajoco and Gaziano, I have my eye on in particular. What they do with Merrill, I'm not quite sure. Fajoco sort of got that start, and then Merrill kind of rotated in. Gaziano, I think played the third most or second most snaps, if I'm not mistaken, behind yeah. Justin Jones. Um, but those Fajoco and Gaziano, in particular, I have my eye on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're obviously you know big fans of those two, and they you know they stepped up in a big way. Um, I haven't watched much of the defensive all 22 film, but what I have seen, uh, you know, it's, it's just been a a really good surprise uh, to see those two playing so well. Um, Mm. you know, it's going to be interesting to watch, you know, I, I did my Broncos interview already with, uh, Nick Kendall, who writes for the mile high huddle. Um, and one of the things that we talked about is the chargers run defense, although, uh, Sunday's performance against the Steelers took them from, I think, 154 yards per game to 144. So uh, that did quite a well. They're still last in yards per game. But um, rush defense in in terms of EPA per play, according to uh, Daniel Popper, is 17th since the bye week. So they have made some real strides in that regard. But this this is a big test this week because unlike the Steelers, the Broncos will continue to run the ball almost regardless of what the score is or what is working or not working whereas the Steelers it felt like really kind of abandoned the run game in the second half so this is going to be an interesting test of course you have the Melvin Gordon possibility for a revenge game to our guy Javante Williams who we both really loved in the draft is is no joke either so this is going to be a very big test for the Chargers um, and I think this will be able to really tell us a lot about uh, the front seven in particular, uh, those two players that we just mentioned, Joe Gaziano and Braden Fajoko.
2: Yeah, I would certainly take Najee Harris as at least as a prospect over the other two guys in Denver. Sure. But the combination of them and be able to rotate through those guys, their interior, especially if they're all healthy compared to what the Steelers had last week, they should be better. I do think they are probably a better rushing attack, um, even though Najee Harris, again, I would take him over the other two. I think right. a combination of the two. I don't know how often Bridgewater uses his legs, but still, I think, yeah, no, like you said, it's a really, really big test. If they can pull it off this week, then I think we're going to see some serious changes along the defensive line.
1: Yeah, and, you know, initially looking at the snap counts from uh, Sunday, you see Kenneth Murray 15 snaps mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and only five, only 10 snaps as an inside linebacker. So, you know, initially I, I looked at that and I was like, OK, like Brandon Staley's showing us that he's not afraid to, you know, reduce reduce someone's role. Um, but then, you know, it came out that he apparently rolled his ankle again. So they were being careful, Mm. really only using him on passing down situations. So that's going to be interesting how this one plays out, because I don't know if Kenneth Murray is going to play. I don't know if he's going to practice. I don't know if they're going to be careful with him. Um, but I think that's another thing to keep, keep an eye on this week in terms of the run defense against the Denver Broncos.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize he had hurt himself. Do you recall when the issue injury popped up?
1: Popper said it was early in the game, but then he still went back in in the second half. You know, he still played sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it was just like a pain management thing. They were trying to keep him fresh. Um, gotcha. That's definitely a, a storyline to, you know, keep an eye on because this was the first time really since week two against the Cowboys that all three linebackers were healthy and mm-hmm. Murray played 10 snaps as an off ball linebacker. So. I yeah. don't know. Like, I don't remember him getting injured. Uh, you know, like I said, Me I haven't neither. watched the film and, like, seeing him, if he was limping or anything like that. So I don't know how much I buy that yet. Of course, you know, it is Tuesday. Uh, a lot can change between now and uh, Saturday when when game time hits. So I think that's mm-hmm. just a really interesting storyline to keep an eye on is how, uh, you know, this is going to be the first time, like I said, that we see all three linebackers on the field presumably healthy all the same time as well.
2: Yeah, I thought the early rotations that they had were a bit surprising to me along the kind of that front seven. I didn't expect Fajoka to be out there on the first yeah. play so early. I mean, then we saw like uh, Rumpf in there instead of maybe like a fackerel And maybe because last week or the week prior against the Vikings, you know, Rumpf took a backseat because of Murray. I guess maybe at that point, if Murray was hurt early, that would explain why Rumpf was in there because I didn't expect, you know, with Murray healthy, I didn't expect Rumpf to be out there, but Rumpf was out there. So Right. Again, I want to see another game, like especially if everybody's healthy. Maybe it was just an injury thing, but the rotation early on was certainly different than what I expected, but maybe it was an injury thing.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the other injury, of course, that we have to talk about, unfortunately, is Asante Samuel Jr. Um, mm-hmm. He was confirmed again today to have his second concussion in three weeks. So it, it's concerning for his long-term health. Uh, Brandon Staley said that they don't know how severe it is yet. Um, they don't know if he's going to be missing time if any um, but Daniel Popper on his live stream said that he that we should not expect to see Asante Sammy Jr. on a field anytime soon um, hmm. a- as someone yeah. who has struggled with concussions and you know in high school I can tell you getting two in the same season is is no joke like that second one uh, when I was a junior in high school I had one concussion in my opening game, and then I had a second concussion in the third game, and I missed the rest of the season. So, you know, obviously, every concussion is different, every person handles them differently. Um, but it's, I, I have a tough time imagining that uh, Asad Samuel Jr. plays in the next few weeks.
2: No, and nor should he have to. And I get that you want to, you know, wanna compete, you want to win, you're a rookie, you want to keep your spot, but right. no, it's all about health at this point, like last year. I know. Like I'm pretty sure Joey was to try to get back on the field after that second concussion, but they gave yeah. him all the time and they basically, without putting him on season ending IR, they kind of protected him from himself and from going out there and getting, you know, hurt again. So, yeah, I'd like to have him out there when thinking about the matchup that the secondary is going to have with these receivers. Would love to have him out there, but, you know, protect yourself first. This is you have an entire career ahead of you the next three games or whatever it is. They don't really yeah. matter that much.
1: Yeah. And if we're being honest, like he's been the most reliable corner for the chargers this year, you know, Michael Davis has been up and down to on camel, Chris Harris, very, you know, up and down as well. So it's a big loss and I'm sure we'll talk about that. A um, couple people saying in the chat right now that the chargers should put him on IR and I, I tend to agree, you know, give him three weeks to really recover, you know, take some time that he needs to. And that also gives the chargers some flexibility in terms of the roster. Then you can, you know, if you want to keep, Keandre Thomas on the roster. If you want to sign somebody from a practice squad, you know, whatever the case may be, I think from a roster standpoint, putting Asante Sammy Jr. on injured reserve would give them more options.
2: Yeah, it's a good call. Or just lets him keep Fahuco on the roster. If he shows out again, That's but true. you're out of a roster spot because you won't cut your RB fifty two, then I mean at least <laughs> you get to keep him on the roster. So there's the one silver lining, I guess.
1: Hey man, uh Philip Lindsay would sure look pretty, uh pretty nice in powder blues. So
2: well, again one of those things i don't know what he's end up signing for in houston i don't know why all those running backs went to houston for very yeah. little money <laughs> all six of them whatever from you know 5 years ago were a pretty dominant group but um you know you have an opportunity here i get why they wouldn't have signed a running back at the time but you've seen your core now you know that it's just not working with kelly roundtree you know there's some flashes at least so hold on to him of course but like you need something and you know Jackson he might come back this week and, or he might, he might you know play more snaps this week but i don't expect him to hang around for another week because he's going to get hurt so you know <laughs> bringing someone like lindsay i wouldn't mind that but that's a uh, it's not going to happen unfortunately
1: no so i'm looking at his contract details right now and i don't understand why they cut him you know they they signed him for a 2.5 million dollar base salary and he's mm-hmm. a 2 million dollar dead cap hit so they gain literally nothing, so <laughs> <laughs> they gain nothing by wow. cutting him. Like, I don't yeah. understand that. So, um, as mm-hmm. Holden points out in the chat, he does go through waivers. So, we could presumably yeah. find out tomorrow if he signs somewhere, um, or if a team claims him, rather. If, if he does not mm-hmm. get claimed by a team tomorrow, then he is a free agent. Um, so it just it makes so much sense to me. Like this team, this coaching staff was around him in Denver. You know, Ronaldo Hill and Brandon Staley were all in Denver um, when when Lindsay had his best season two years ago mm-hmm. in 2019. So I think it makes so much sense in the world, man. But it's for whatever reason that you know they they love these players. So that's another interesting snap count one too. Justin Jackson only played five snaps on Sunday. Uh, Larry Roundtree played 19, which I think uh, was the second most he had played all season long. Uh, Had that one really good run that didn't count. (laughs) But, I mean, Justin Jackson had, you know, a drop. He had a a carry where he had a clear alleyway to the right side. And he Mm -hmm. just kept going straight right into a defensive player. So, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before. I don't know how much Justin Jackson has in the tank, unfortunately. Like, he's just not really... Outside of the 180-yard run, it's just been bad. Like, he hasn't played well at all. He's been injured a bunch of times. So, I-, I don't know, man. Like, signing Philip Lindsay just makes too much sense to me.
2: Yeah. Jackson's so hit or miss. Literally, it's hit or miss. It's, you know, injured or 75-yard run where you get caught from behind, unfortunately. But, you know, it's JC Jackson. So, I get it. But, um, you know, they, they need to bring somebody else in. I just can't imagine. Like, you're going into the postseason. You have a good offensive line. Most of it is yeah. pretty good. I don't even think like Storm Norton's a decent run blocker, too. Yeah. You just you gotta have somebody else out there. I mean they won't do it. That's frustrating. And it's gonna be a point of emphasis next season. Like they are going to probably yeah. sign a veteran anyway, or have to draft a guy. If Lindsay's right there and you have a relationship with him, sign him now, get him in now, get him a yeah. part of your offense now. If it works, problem solved. Sign him again for a cheap deal next year. Yes. Now you have a really yes. good one two punch. Like you could have that relationship working right now instead of having to worry about next year and maybe having to outbid someone for a running back that's the same. Honestly, Philip Lindsay. unless there was something in Houston that we don't know about, like I know the numbers aren't good, but I don't really expect it to be good in Houston. And this line, well, okay, I would say this line could make a running back good, but then we've seen Roundtree and Kelly, so maybe I take that back. But I think behind this line, you know, Lindsay's numbers should be better. And so why not work on that relationship right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, this this offensive line, specifically the left side, it's it's insane. Like, I I said this on Twitter yesterday. Like, I, last season, you know, I would sit there and I would watch the L22. And I would just want to, like, throw my computer at the wall yeah. watching this last year's offensive line just struggle to generate any kind of push, struggle with mm-hmm. the most basic of stunts and blitzes. And this year, it's so nice. I can just no. sit back here on my de- on my desk, put on the tape, and just enjoy offensive line play again. Like it's amazing the difference. And that's with Storm Norton, you know, <laughs> giving up a, a shit show a shit show against Alex Highsmith. So it's just been like it's so incredible the difference. And you know, I we the two of us both now have uh, yeah. <laughs> plays as our <laughs> headers on Twitter where the offensive line just <laughs> completely opens up. The Red Sea, yeah. and so I agree. I think Philip Lindsay would be would be such a good addition here. And I think my favorite thing about Lindsay, or the thing that I always hated, was that he was a home run hit waiting to happen. At yeah, any he moment. was like you never know with a guy like that when an explosive play is coming. And I think that's a big thing that is missing from this team right now. um I, I love Austin Eckler, mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. not really like an explosive run creator. You know, Philip Lindsay yeah. can hit a hole, and he's gone so I think Philip Mm -hmm. Lindsay would be a a great addition in that regard a couple people have asked me about pass blocking Thomas uh has in the chat right now I honestly have no idea I know that was a criticism of him early when he was a rookie but I I think between between Eckler and Larry Roundtree I think you can really kind of manage that because both of those two players are really good at pass blocking Austin Eckler had the blitz pickup of the year on Mike Williams (laughs) touchdown like that That play by Eckler was honestly Mm -hmm. like such a high level, smart, intelligent play, and he just like body that guy, sent him flying. So, I think with Eckler and Roundtree, you have the pass blocking covered.
2: Yeah, I think it was Jeff Schwartz that pointed out that you know it was not just like pass protection; like he aggressively went after the blitzer, the defender, whoever that was, and just turned him into a handstand. I've never seen a defender go from upright to completely. Just a flip of one eighty into a handstand <laughs> yeah. before, but that's Austin Eckler, man. Like he earns his money. He's that's yeah. got to be the best contract, right, of, of any player out there. I mean, who overperforms other than a rookie deal? Yeah. Who overperforms more than Eckler on that contract? So, yeah, I'm all for it. If if Lindsay or if, yeah, if Philip Lindsay's not like the best pass blocker, then you know if he's a good runner, he's better than Joshua Kelly, who gave <laughs> up a blitz, you know, a sack to
1: Herbert two weeks ago. Yeah. So if he's at least a better runner, I'll take the same pass blocking yeah absolutely um all right so in, in terms of the broncos again we don't have a ton of injury updates right now um garrett Bowles, former utah U uh <laughs> legend is currently on the COVID list as well so uh that could be potentially very impactful for the university of utah football team this week because he was in utah for that oregon game this past weekend oh no um, yeah so i don't i don't know about that one that could be tough <laughs> for my utah youth um In terms of their other injuries, though, uh, Bobby Massey, who's been their right tackle. uh, We'll talk about him later, but he uh, was injured during the Dallas game. He missed the Philadelphia Eagles game. Um, He potentially is coming back this week. um, So, you know, that is something to keep an eye on. And then Baron Browning, one of their only remaining linebackers, uh, could have a chance to play this week as well. Um, But that's really all we have in terms of uh, Broncos injuries.
2: Yeah, I was talking to Devin Caney, who was on the show. I, I apologize if I said her name wrong, but she was one of our best guests, and I can't believe I don't know how to say her name correctly. Anyway, she covers the Eagles, and I asked her, you know, "What did the Eagles do so well to stop the Broncos?" And they said, "You know, we just we just got pressure on them. They were able. To, I mean, that's you know, and yeah. again, that's how you stop an offense. That's how you stop the quarterback. But they were able to get pressure. weren't able to do that against the Chargers. So I don't know if that was a game plan thing or what. But if this offensive line is potentially depleted, especially if Bowles is not able to go and doesn't sound like he will." You know, great. Joey Bosa is on a tear right now. This team has generated thirty pressures the last two weeks. Keep it going. This yeah. team's winning in the trenches right now. Couldn't capitalize on it against the Vikings, and I guess the defense really couldn't capitalize on it um, against the Steelers. But you know, keep going, keep winning in the trenches, and I think they can pull it out, out a win in Denver, which they haven't done in a while.
1: A while, yeah. So I know, like, you know, Graham Glasgow is their normal left guard. He's injured and, and is out for the season. He's not going to play. Garrett Bowles is not going to play because he tested positive for COVID and he's unvaccinated. So they're kind of going Mm. through the similar situation as we are, you know, they're just switching sides. Yeah. So if Bobby Massey is back, you'll have him and Dalton Reisner next to each other. You know, that's a good right side, solid right side. Reisner, I think is one of the better guards in the league. Um, And then you have Quinn Miners probably starting at left guard. And if Bowles, because Bowles is not going to play, they'll have Calvin Anderson, uh starting a left tackle again. We'll talk about some of those players later, but uh just wanted to bring that up. Um, all right. Go ahead, Tyler. Oh,
2: I was gonna ask, I'm pretty sure I've only seen Joey Bosa rush the right guard. I've never seen him go after the left guard, but if if uh, possible, he, I his, would love
1: his sack was against the left guard.
2: Great. Oh, I'm awesome. glad I didn't get to the end of the game. Yeah. So oops. <laughs> uh well then great because Quinn Miners, I mean, he's a very strong, stout guy. Don't get me wrong, very kind yeah. of ferocious guy, but you know, unless things have changed, maybe they have the technique just really wasn't there. And yeah. I think Bosa is someone who could absolutely take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. He, uh, I was just looking at this. He's got PFF grades, you know, grain of salt, but sure. His pass blocking grade against the Eagles was a 30. So, um, <laughs> I mean, he's he's a rookie from Wisconsin Whitewater. Like he's going to struggle yeah, at totally. coverage pass, mm-hmm. pass blocking, excuse me. Um, just because that's that's the nature of the beast, you know, but um you know, he's a very physically gifted and physically imposing offensive lineman so i expect him mm-hmm. to make more of an impact in the rushing attack than the yeah. than pass blocking um so if the chargers want to go and isolate you know that side of things i would obviously much i mean joey bosa can beat anyone right but i, I would much rather see yeah. joey bosa rush the interior against quinn Miners as opposed to dalton reisner
2: yeah no absolutely so let say both edge rushers are healthy i mean I don't know. People were talking about, oh, you know, I think they to me, it felt like the same rate of them trying to put Joey Bosa inside as the last couple of weeks. Some people said it was more to me. I haven't watched the game all the way through. It felt the same to me, but, you know, they could do it a couple more times.
1: I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, maybe I mean, he didn't practice. Right. So that could have been something. But um, yeah, according to pro football focus, he rushed from the inside or played on the inside eight times, which was about the same as the Vikings. I think the Vikings was nine or ten um so you know i expect that to continue like they'll they'll rush him more right like they they said they would after the patriots game they said that wasn't part of the plan and they didn't do it um so i expect him to play on the inside about tennis snaps give or take a few
2: yeah that sounds about right was the denver broncos game last year the game where we saw limbo joseph rush from a wide nine yes <laughs> dang it we're gonna miss that this week
1: yes because melvin Shucks. was out melvin yeah. was out chenna was out and then joey had the mm-hmm. concussion so they, yeah. had, they had the interior was uh damian square and yeah. um i forget who the other interior was and then it was oh it was justin jones and it was jerry tillery okay. and limbaugh joseph as the defensive ends <laughs> it was so bad uh I, I don't ever want to see that happen again
2: unsurprisingly they, they gave up a big lead and lost that yes. game <laughs>
1: So you never know what happens in Denver. It's going to be a wild week. But um, I'm really excited for this one because, uh, you know, I, I think the Chargers are a good team. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. they're a great team. I'm not saying that they're contenders. But this is a game that a team like the Chargers should win. And that really is kind of my biggest story storyline of the week as we kind of move yeah. into really previewing this one. Um, again, this is our Week 12 preview. Chargers traveling to Mile High. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of seen in the past that this team wins a big game, has just a little bit of a letdown. You know, Austin Eckler said that after the Vikings game, they had their best week of practice of the season, which we heard from a couple players ahead of the Eagles game, which we heard a couple from a couple players ahead (laughs) of the Chiefs game. So it's like, all right, so we need to get this team practicing at the same level every single week. You know, uh, I was listening to Mitchell Schwartz on the athletic football show. And one of the things that he said in terms of trap games, which I thought was really interesting, was that fans look at trap games as teams looking ahead, whereas from a player standpoint, it's more so what happened the game before. So you play the Steelers on Sunday okay. night football, you have this very emotional game, you lose, you potentially blow a lead, you come back, and it's just an emotionally draining and physically draining game. Now you play the Denver Broncos, a division rival. So you know, it, this could be a trap game for the Chargers, but not because they're looking ahead to the Bengals, right, but because of what happened previous week, the previous week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm curious to see really what happens to this team in this game, because the Broncos are not very good. I know that they beat the, the Cowboys and uh, destroyed them a couple weeks sleek. ago, but yeah on a fluke but the defense the broncos defense is not in a good spot this is not the same old broncos defense that we're used to no really outside of draymond jones and patrick patrick Sertan and justin simmons they don't have a whole lot of like blue chip players which we're not used to seeing uh on no team so this is a game where the Chargers' offense in particular should really come out and be able to get whatever they want um that was the same thing last week it's the same thing against the vikings you have injuries you have Poor coaching, whatever. So, Mm -hmm. the Chargers offense to me again is the key thing because, you know, we'll talk about the defense, you know, more down the road. But Daniel Popper pointed this out today on a tweet. The Chargers offense right now is currently third in the league in DVO, DVOA rankings. They are Mm -hmm. second in EPA per play and they are first in EPA per drive. So, this Chargers offense is moving the ball at will. They are scoring points. They just have to be able to consistently do that, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because their numbers and their data is really showing that this offense is a hyper-efficient offense, and they need to do that this week. Get out to an early lead. Do not let the Broncos be in a positive or neutral game script. Force them to throw the football as much as often with Teddy Bridgewater, and I think that really is the recipe for success this week. The offense is the key, as always.
2: Yeah, I mean it is. It seems like this team lives or dies by that offense. And sure, Justin Herbert's your quarterback. So yeah, you're gonna live and die by your quarterback. But like, if he's not good, nobody's good. The <laughs> defense isn't really in a good spot right now either, especially with yeah. some of these COVID, you know, injuries or whatever it is. Yeah, Mile High is such a such a weird one for them. I want to see the secondary step up in a way that they kind of did at the beginning of the year last year. Or, you know, beginning of the game last year, and then they just didn't. I mean that yeah. game. Is when you noticed you know, Tavon Campbell. Like, I don't remember what they officially ruled the issue was between like Jenkins or Campbell on that touchdown. Um, but then Adderley, who's back from injury now and should have, be like really good to go. You know, last week he came back, but now he should be, you know, officially like really good to go. Those guys kind of blew it in Denver last year, especially Adderley. Like that was the game that was always in my mind where he screwed up and cost the team, you know, maybe two touchdowns and a field goal or whatever it was. It was not pretty and one of his worst games, and that's what I was worried about going into this season he's so much yeah. more improved now I and mean, i think it's kind of a redemption game for him but then yeah can can this offense also continue um thankfully there's no more von miller to pick off the wide receiver screen that he picked off like <laughs> twice in a row against yeah. rivers or whatever it was yeah. um so i do think oh as Arjun points out too can staley outcoach his mentor i i think so unfortunately it's two defensive guys going at each other so it's not like they really you know are going against each other but um Yes, Arjun. Jason did get roasted on Twitter for calling out Ray Um, yeah, don't call it Ray Jenkins. He searches his name. But, yeah, don't um, call it Ray
1: Sean Jenkins, Denzel Perryman, Desmond King, all those guys' name shirts.
2: Yeah, you can call it say good things about Kaiser White, though. He'll retweet yeah. the hell out of Steven, apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I just really want to see the secondary put it together because yeah, it's it's a horrible stretch of quarterbacks they play. Like Kirk Cousins, maybe, but like after the bye, it's been Jalen Hurts. I'm oh, sorry, it's been Mac Jones, who was fine, but they kind of got toasted. No takeaways there. Jalen Hurts, no takeaways there. Kirk Cousins had some opportunities. No takeaways there. No takeaways against Big Ben. These aren't great quarterbacks. and They looked much better against Mahomes for whatever reason. Uh, but just <laughs> since the bye, it's like, where? where's the secondary going? So, you know, fortunately, yes, the Chargers do have an offense. The Broncos, I thought, were going to be way, way better than they were this year, at least on defense. And the Eagles just rolled over them. So, and you know, yeah. I think the Eagles have a good offense, but I didn't think they were, you know, blowing out the Broncos kind of offense. So, you know, yeah, they need to get it together. This is a big win of the games that they could have played this year to tell me that Staley was a legit head coach. One of them's in Kansas City or at least beating Kansas City. One's yeah. the Patriots and they lost. And the other one is at Denver for whatever reason, even with Herbert putting up, you know, 30 points of whatever he did last year, they still lost. Like it is just so hard for this team to win in Denver. So if Staley wants to, I, I think he is a good head coach and an elite head coach in the future and for many years to come. But if he wants to show me that it's a different early, got to win in Denver.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, just to to put a bow on a secondary conversation, obviously not having Asaddee Sammy Jr. is going to be huge. Um, I'm hopeful that Alohi Gilman is able to come back in this one because Trey Marshall uh, has really, you know, uh, caused a, a couple of broken coverages for this team. Mm. And I, I think I trust Alohi in a little bit more there. Um, of course, you know, yeah. that, I think that applies to Mark Webb too. Um, but Daniel Popper pointed out too in, in his article today. Let me make sure I get this one right. Um, the Charters defense is 31st in the league in third down conversion rate. <laughs> so, um, the you know, we've flipped, right? Like the run defense was the weakness. Pass defense mm-hmm. was good now we're the other way. And it, of course, injuries have contributed to that fact. So if there were ever a game for Michael Davis to, you know, flash his shutting down Stefan Diggs kind of ability or Tavon Campbell to, you know, return to form and create some turnovers, this is it. So, you know, I think the strength of the Broncos heading into this season was their receiving core. I think that still is the case mm-hmm. now, at least in terms of roster groups. And so, you know, you have Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton that are able to kind of play the X and the Z and, and, and go deep. You have Jerry Judy, who is a technician, and goes for the middle. and You, ha- mm-hmm. you even have KJ Hamler, who I, th- I think he's still playing. I, I can't remember if I... I think, okay, so yeah, I think he got, got hurt. Okay, so KJ got hurt. But still, that's a hyper-talented trio who have been mm-hmm. very productive. And so this is a big week for the secondary. Unfortunately, we'll see Chris Harris on Jerry Judy for most of the game. So that's going to be fun, but this is a big week for them. They have to step up. They have to figure it out. I wonder, I'm wondering as I'm talking right now, if we see Derwin James play a little bit more in the slot as opposed to playing deep, which I think would help kind of mitigate the loss of Asante Samuel Jr. But you're right. This is a big week. Past defense has been a major concern the last few weeks. They got kind of cooked this past week against Big Ben and Deontay Johnson. Uh, of course, they got destroyed by Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. So it's it's tough right now.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Joe and James in the slot, and I think he he really only played in the slot because Harris was out. But the situation feels kind of similar. Just two, I mean, now again they had Jefferson and Thielen. He didn't do this, but you know I think you, he really should, has to. Like I, I don't want Chris Harris Jr. out there playing <laughs> the against. Like I just don't want to watch that. And you know, for other guys like okay, so like Sutton's more like you know, I, I, to me at least, a, a bigger sort of more athletic sort of guy. I think yeah. Davis can roll with that, and at least the speed of someone like Tim Patrick or whatever he does. I think Tyronn camel can roll with that, but there's just a shiftiness that that Jerry Judy has that maybe kind of like a Keenan Allen has, and yeah. I don't see Chris Harris Jr. being able to keep with that at all. No. I I really don't. And uh, Derwin James is someone who can, and so you know, and couple of that with the fact that the couple of times I've watched Teddy Bridgewater, I believe he's improved. But when I watched him against the Raiders, and I was just watching him live. He couldn't hit a deep ball to save his life. And maybe that just comes with chemistry and working with receivers. So like, if I'm more, I'm more worried about Jerry Judy in the intermediate than someone deep. And, you know, I think the defense in general will prevent that. I think the guys that do go deep, you know, I think Campbell and Davis can take care of those guys. So yeah, I'm putting Derwin James in the slot if I possibly can. Don't know how often he'll play there. He does have to also support the run and all that, but um, yeah, I would give it a shot.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, The Eagles do this to everybody, right? You know, like they they force everybody to to check it down, but he only attempted one pass that went more than 15 yards in the air against the Eagles. So um, obviously the Eagles and the the Chargers run similar schemes, although the Chargers are much more aggressive uh, and Mm -hmm. adapt a little bit more than the the, the Eagles do, but similar philosophies. So I think that's going to be an interesting one. So we got a a couple super chat questions from Envy Talent, who uh, is always a big supporter of the show. So I wanted to address those really quickly. Um mm-hmm. the first one he says, Hey, did you also forget that Herbert had running capabilities? Because I did. It's scary to watch, but man, <laughs> did it open up the offense?
2: It's it was something I kind of hinted at in the breakdown that I did, but it was just like a you know, let's let him run one more time a game because he did it once against the Eagles for a touchdown and once for a first down against the Vikings. So it's like, hey, you know, if, if especially if you're not reading coverages deep and you just aren't figuring it out. If it's available, take it, take your eight yards, take your 10 yards, whatever it is. Did not expect him to set, you know, a NFL record for most yards, you know, rushing and passing, at least in those two totals in NFL history. I never expected him to set a historic record in that department, um, but great. It, it was, like you said, it, it was a scary thing to watch. It was a great thing to watch. Scary if you're the defense and it does open up the offense. And I think if you're struggling and teams are playing deep against you, and you know go for it run it why not and i think he there's a couple of times i got a little worried like there's a couple of times he will run into the center for whatever reason he did that once kind of against the patriots he did it once against the, the Steelers, something like that up in the middle Um, there was a holding or whatever it was there's some sort of penalty that negated it but there's yeah. a couple of times it's a little questionable but let him go for it if he screws up one time a game oh well like let him go for a couple times Get more comfortable because if teams are playing deep, they're playing two deep safeties, or they're in spread or they're an empty, and the whole defense is spread out in man or whatever it is, go for it. It's available and it's certainly better than, you know, chucking it up and praying it works, um, even though it's not an explosive passing play. Like, sure, you want to go for a deep find, but he picked up 90, 92, whatever yards it was. So I have nothing against it.
1: No, I really like the way that he was decisive with running the football. You know, there were a couple instances where me and you were talking, right? Like I felt like he could have been just equally as decisive in running or, or throwing. So it's a balance, right? You know, he said after the game that it was more so what the Steelers were doing and the the heavy man coverage scheme that they were employing that allowed him to have those rushing lanes. So, you know, I, I, this isn't going to turn into like a Lamar Jackson situation where you're running him, you know, on design runs five, six, seven, eight, nine times a game. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's great to know that he can do that. It makes things more difficult for defenses Maybe you see them kind of cage rush him a little bit more, which obviously helps the offensive line. So it was great to see. And frankly, the Chargers needed that. So um, let's move on to uh, our key matchups and X factors in this one. And Tyler, I'll let you go first. What is your uh, key matchup of the day?
2: We already alluded to it. So I'll try to, I'll just say who it was and I'll try to find something else. I was going to talk about the secondary versus wide receivers. Because it is kind of be like a key matchup. Like you said, the Denver Broncos, the strength of their team right now are their receivers, and secondary got wrecked the last couple of weeks. So it's not a key match. It's a key matchup for you know Staley to show his defense, for this team to rebound, all those things. Um, but key matchup otherwise, what would I go with? Uh, I don't know. that. Never mind. <laughs> That's what I would have gone with, so I don't know what else to pick. Um, Herbert versus, you know, we, okay, we just talked about this too, but <laughs> Herbert the runner. I want to see Herbert run. That's kind of the matchup that I'm, I'm more interested in. Does that continue? seemed like every time the Steelers were playing man-to-man or had those two deep safeties, they went spread, they went empty. Herbert said thanks and and took off. So does that matchup continue? Does Lombardi incorporate that into their game plan a little bit more? I don't know if they'll do that or just continue to give him the green light to run. I don't see him as much of a design run kind of guy outside of those RPOs where they move and chuck it to Palmer or move and get it to Williams deep. But um, that's a matchup I'm looking forward to. Who he matches up with, I don't know who's in the Denver uh, linebacker core, honestly. But you're going against Simmons and stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of my key matchup outside of the secondary versus wide receivers. We already talked about everything. I'm out of things to talk about.
1: <laughs> there are a few key matchups that I think you know we could dive into. As Arjun points out, uh, the Broncos linebackers are worse in covers than Devin Bush. So I-, I feel like I've said this every single week. Like Austin Eckler should be able to eat. Whichever linebacker is alive, but I wanted to specifically bring up some something about Kenny Young and really just the Broncos' linebacker problems in, in general, uh, because I didn't really realize how bad. Obviously, I knew like Josie Jewell was injured, um, and you know they traded for Kenny Young. They signed Micah Kaiser, but I didn't really realize how bad the Broncos have had it at the linebacker position until I pulled up, you know, the whole PFF stats. So um, their top four tacklers are their okay. four secondary members. So it's Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, Patrick Zertan, and Ronald Darby are their four leading tacklers. So that's Mm. not good. That's very, very bad. Um, Mm -hmm. So obviously they traded for Kenny Young, and I wanted to mention this because he hasn't really been, like, full in in the Broncos rotation. Like, they're still kind of uh, rotating him in. But obviously he played for the Rams, and Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that the Rams traded him away was because he was a liability in coverage. So, um he started 8 games I think for the for the Rams, but the first 5 games specifically for the Rams, he was targeted 28 times and he allowed 28 receptions for no. 233 yards and two touchdowns. So he was getting cooked <laughs> in coverage. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers specifically targeted him targeted him 10 times mm. and they converted 10 of those targets into reception. So wow. he is a linebacker that can absolutely be had in coverage. Um, again, that's Austin Eckler. Like, this is literally me every week. I'm like, like my yeah. first instinct now is to just go look at, like, <laughs> coverage stats for mm-hmm. the key, these key matchups. And every single week, I'm like, wow, this linebacker on this team is terrible in coverage. Austin <laughs> Eckler is going to feast this week. And what does Austin Eckler yeah. do, do every single week? He feasts. Like, he's been so mm-hmm. incredible this year. Um, and I think yeah, he's going to have
2: another big one in this one. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great call there, Austin Eckler. Yeah, he feasts versus everyone, but if the matchup is there, take it. And the Chargers really, like we talked about in the live stream last time, it really felt like they did emphasize taking advantage of players who are yeah. not good in coverage or who are weaker in certain things. Devin Bush, at, at some point, I think he was good. He's a former first-round pick, but Eckler just kind of made mincemeat of him. He just could not keep up with him. Most linebackers can't. So in this particular situation, if you have a guy who's worse than Eckler 28 out of 28 they really <laughs> got him 28 out of 28 yeah. times
1: it was bad that's not
2: good that's really bad the next time i talk about anybody poorly on this team i'm gonna remember that because that is as bad as it gets <laughs> so yeah go after them um, a couple of people are talking about the tight ends out here too sure um if they can catch the ball that'd be awesome
1: <laughs> yeah the chargers had four drops again on sunday and three of them were by tight ends. so um we just need to get everybody on that team to start doing the tennis ball thing that Deontay Johnson was doing in <laughs> yes. the offseason. Because for whatever yeah. reason, that has worked for him. And I think the Chargers needed to do that as well. Um, since Alex isn't here, I prepared a couple key matchups. So the other key matchup I want to talk about is Michael Schofield and Storm Norton versus Draymond Jones. Draymond Jones, mm-hmm. somebody that you and I talked with about uh, the Chargers potentially trading for at the deadline. Of course, it mm-hmm. didn't happen. Um, but Draymond Jones, believe it or not, has been their most consistent pass rusher. Over the last month or so of the season. So Draymond Jones primarily lines up on the left end of their defense. So essentially, like think of him as like a Justin Jones or Jerry Tillery type of role. He is a defensive tackle, but he's not going to go up against Corey Lindsay very very often. So he lines up hmm. most over the left guard or over the left tackle or right tackle and right guard. Excuse me. Flip flop that one. Hmm. Um so on the season, he has 26 total pressures and three okay. sacks. 16 of those total pressures are over the last four weeks. And all three of his sacks are over the last four weeks. So he is really coming into his own over the last little bit. Um, He's also got nine run stops in that time. He's graded as a 71 in run defense. So to me, Draymond Jones really is the only player on that defensive line that really kind of gives me pause. Um, Obviously, no Bradley Chubb in this one. No – Von Miller in this one. I think Jonathan Cooper is their best edge rusher at this point, and he's a rookie that's very up and down. So to me, if you can keep Draymond Jones away from Justin Herbert, I, I feel pretty good about the protection plan. Obviously, we saw the Chargers do a great job against Cam Hayward, yep. but that was mostly Matt Feiler and Rashawn Slater and Corey Lindsay. Like, this is a different mm-hmm. challenge because you have Skillful and Norton. We, we've seen time and time again really struggle in, uh, in passing in pass blocking. So mm-hmm. uh, Draymond Jones to me is more so than Austin Eckler versus the linebackers. I think Draymond mm-hmm. Jones and how they handle him is going to be the key for the offensive line this week.
2: Yeah. I didn't realize he was coming on so strong the last couple of weeks. Good for him. By the time I we were talking about this trade deadline, it's like, well, he's sort of like Jerry Tillery in stats. He's just another body. That would be a good rotation. <laughs> for him to come on, not strong the last couple of weeks. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Did you, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't watch the offensive line. Did you feel like Hayward was only lining up yes. across Filer and Slater? Yes. That's interesting. Why? Why? <laughs> why? Do, <laughs> why would? It, why would somebody do that?
1: I honestly don't know, man. Like there, there is some, there are some coaches around the league that just kind of refuse to move players around. Like we, we saw that with Joey Bosa, who like almost exclusively rushed against right tackles with gus bradley and company whereas melvin ingram's moving all over the place so that could be some of it it could have been that you know cam hayward just wanted to go up against his buddy matt filer so i don't know but i sure am glad as hell that they didn't move him to the other side very <laughs> often uh and matt filer did such a good job in that situation mm-hmm. so uh you know it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this uh Schofield and norton tandem handle uh Draymond Jones because I think he really is, you know, an ascending player right now.
2: So what do you think happened with I'm, sorry, I'm jumping around the offensive line now? So if he does go up against the offensive line on that right side, yeah. what happened with Norton this past week? Because I feel like we weren't hearing his name a lot outside of the penalties. Yeah. Then you tallied up, you know, and you and you do your different tallies and sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower. You thought he had an awful game. So what happened there? Because I don't think we're talking about that. We just all just assume he gave up I think Pro Football Focus is what three pressures, four pressures, maybe.
1: PFF had him as two pressures and two sacks. Oh wow! So I I game. gave him, yeah. So I gave him six pressures, and if I mm-hmm. was mean, like if, it, if I was in a bad mood last night <laughs> watching this, I could have given him like seven or eight. Um, nice, but Alex Alex Highsmith really just roasted him. Like it, you know, I think Highsmith is a good player, but he's definitely not a great player. But mm-hmm. you know the, the issue last night with Storm is that he just—I don't know what it was—but he just had a really p- poor plan of attack because it was a lot of two-hand striking against Alex Highsmith, and mm-hmm. you know it was a lot of uh, poor leverage. You know, he his shoulders come over his toes half the time, so Alex Highsmith, anytime he did any kind of counter, you know, whether it was a cross chop or the spin move, which got got Norton pretty badly, um, he just left Norton in the dust. So. There were a couple of times that it was like almost instantaneous that Norton got beat and Herbert would, you know, roll out left or, or you know, quick game it. So Norton had a rough day against Alex Highsmith and it was just a lot, a lot of poor technique, um, specifically with his hand placement, left him on the ground like seven, eight, nine times. It felt like I was watching Sam Tevye again in that regard. Um, so That's great. It, it was, it was not pretty. Again, we saw him play pretty well against Philadelphia and Minnesota, but this past week against the Steelers was a, was a bad Storm Norton game.
2: That's wonderful. I mean, Highsmith was the guy that they started over Ingram, right? That's the guy they've had this yeah. entire time. Okay, yeah. so they he's like a they've had big plans for him. Didn't yeah. hear something good. Cooper's a guy at least from the, the draft that I don't think either of us were super high on. To me, he was just a guy that. I think tested very well. And it was like a high effort. I have you a know, big program, Ohio state kind of guy. But I never really struck him as, it never really struck me as like a, a technique counters kind of guy. But if you're playing someone like Norton, doesn't really have that toolkit, could take advantage of him. So um, yeah. yeah, once again, Norton is, is a problem.
1: Yeah. I haven't watched any Broncos film. Um, mm-hmm. If this were a normal week, I would, would have dived into it. But since we're doing this on Tuesday, um, <laughs> yes. But what I remember from my evaluation of Cooper at Ohio state, was that it was a lot of speed rushes and a lot of speed Mm -hmm. to power rushes. There weren't, you know, there wasn't a ton of technical ability. I think he had a couple seasons where he didn't play a single game because he was just injured. So Um, I think that was really why he was a 7th round draft pick is just he had a lengthy injury history. I thought he played pretty well at the senior bowl from what I remember, but it's not mm -hmm. a lot of technical ability. Again, that could have changed. I haven't watched any Broncos film, but uh, just based at Ohio State, you know, it was a lot of speed to power rushes and a lot of speed rushes. If you can, if you can, you know, anchor down against him, you're probably pretty fine. If you're not allowing him to turn the corner on you, you're probably fine. But yeah. you know, Storm Norton has to have a better plan of attack, and he's got to be more consistent with his leverage because, you know, this is again, you know, if you're allowing pressure from Draymond Jones and Storm Norton, like it's gonna be a problem.
2: Yeah, no, definitely not good. Oh boy, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the thing though with Storm Norton. It's it's one good game here, bad game here. Yeah. A couple of good games, couple of bad games. He's just really up and down like as you said today on Twitter, right? Like just go all in on the right tackle position this year this next off-season. And mm-hmm. because, you know, I I think Norton can be like a training camp body next year. Like I'm not against bringing him back necessarily, but like if you want to give him the chance to beat out like a, a you know, like a one-year cheap veteran like, that's mm-hmm. fine to me. Like, but you have to bring in competition. You can't just hand him the swing tackle position again. You have to bring him competition. Like I said, whether that's a cheap veteran or whether that's, you know, a sixth or seventh round draft pick or something, but you, you just you have to bring in competition.
2: So, all things considered, considering the beginning of the season where he was at and some of the struggles and considering where he is now, is it just the same kind of, or is it just an up and down where last week he was good, this week he wasn't good?
1: it's up and down. Like I think I thought he played pretty well against the Vikings, like genuinely, Mm -hmm. genuinely pretty well. Um, It's just the inconsistency. Like I know he's been in the league in in professional football for three, four years, but this is really his rookie season. Like this is really the first time that he's getting consistent reps and allowed to be the guy. And unfortunately, unless your name is Rashawn Slater, if you're a rookie offensive lineman, you you have some tough moments. So, you know, to me, it's just about the plan of attack and, you know, continuing to coach him up because, you know, a lot of the times when you're an offensive lineman and you're young and you're playing against a a young guy or another really good pass rusher, excuse me, things can just, you know, snowball. And that's what it felt like on Sunday. That's what it felt like against Micah Parsons. That's what it felt like against, uh, who was the other bad game that he had? I can't remember. Um, Oh, grab Trent Brown at free agency, hard pass, hard, hard, hard pass. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, so he had – Trent Brown, I saw the story about him. I know it's people are kind of wishy washy, but he's the guy that had the uh, IV or whatever it was and the air yeah. enter his bloodstream, right? Yeah. She's always.
1: And apparently he like considered retirement. Like he like had such an adverse reaction to it that he yeah. thought about retiring. So Trent Brown, when he's on the Patriots, he's very, very good. When he's in other situations, he's not very good. So he, I'm, I'm not interested in that kind of deal. So um, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see, you know, what happens in the storm. I, I think this could be a better game, right? Like, you know, I'm not expecting an Alex Highsmith. Like, he's a good player. You know, all respect to Jonathan Cooper. He's just not there yet. So we'll have to see. But Norton, it, it really is just a technique thing. It's a plan of attack. And, mm-hmm. you know, those those can absolutely improve. Like, that can change. You just have to reset things every single week, and I think he'll be okay this week. Um, all right, let's talk about some X factors in this one. Um, I'm going to mention here, Donald Parham again. Like, I feel like I've mentioned him as an X factor quite a few times, but it felt like in the second half that they really made a concerted effort to target him more often. Um, mm-hmm. He had that absurd tight end screen on like the third drive. Yeah, the geez. Where he juked a defender and covered like four yards of ground the other way. Like the way this guy can move is just insane to me. So we saw him. Get targeted on the seam route. He didn't catch it, unfortunately. Um, but if he had, I felt like he probably would have scored because he's just so good after the catch. So I think that we are slowly seeing Donald Parham get more and more involved in the offense. I think they're trusting him more and more. Brandon Saley said yesterday that they're looking forward to expanding his role. And Jared Cook was like really shaking his hand, like he he had some hand issue Mm -hmm. after the drops Mm -hmm. on Sunday. So maybe Jared Cook is a little limited. Maybe he's out. I don't really know, but I feel like this is the game that Donald Parham is going to establish himself as the guy who's going to be tight end one next year. Like I expect Jared Cook to still be involved, but I expect from here on out, Donald Parham is going to show this team enough where he is going to earn himself a nice contract extension and really be that tight end one for this team going forward. And I expect a, 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 good to big game this week against the Broncos.
2: I'd love to see it like that play you referenced on the tight end screen. There's a balance and athleticism (laughs) to him that I did not expect. Like every time there's a guy who can make a tackle on him in the open field, they're bouncing off of him or they're completely missing him. It doesn't make sense. I don't know if it's just a weird like perception of a human being where you think it's going to be one thing and it ends up being another, but guys can't tackle him. He's excellent after the catch. I, and I really didn't expect that. I expected it from a I'm running very fast on a shallow crosser and I'm yeah. turning up field sort of thing. But I never expected the open field shiftiness to be that that great. So, you know, this whole tight end room is now really starting to take shape. And, you know, in, in a post cook world, I'm very confident with the three guys that they have. If they bring back Parham and Anderson, and I assume that they will, because that would be a huge loss to the team if either leave. But Parham's looking excellent out there, aside from the drop, of course. You know, and, and and um, what's his name, Anderson? Like I said, honestly, should be a pro bowl fullback because I think he's earned it and he looks excellent out there. And then now my kitty's a thing, and everyone wrote him off as sort of a bust or not a bust, but a waste of a draft pick. And in some respects, I get it you want to guard, you want to tackle, you want an interior defensive lineman, but based on what he's shown and what he's sort of flashed in training camp, he really looks like he could be their tight end too, no problem. Like next year, Anderson is technically that H-back tight end two sort of but really their h-back mckitty i have no problem with him as tight end too. um you know he completely launched hayward off of his feet and if filer wasn't there I at the goal line today, yeah yeah if if filer wasn't there to basically hold up hayward hayward would have been across the formation and on his butt um there's just a good aggressiveness there there's, it's not just blocking it's like it's kind of like austin eckler in his pass block there's his pass protecting me and that blitz pickup. It's not just receiving the guy and stopping him. It's going out of your way. He's aggressive. And I think that's, he just looks like a more natural blocker than we ever saw from Parham or Anderson last year. So for him to already look like that, and now they're just involving him a bit in the flat too. It's a really, really solid tight end room. So I thought about my kiddies, my X factor for the third week. Um, (laughs) At least I'm, at least I finally mean it. And he's actually a factor in the game these days. So that's good. Um, I'm going to go with Larry Roundtree. I think that potentially there's something there. Is he really like the reason they're going to win? Not necessarily, but I think, and I feel bad for him because he had a touchdown callback against the chiefs, which was a very good run, but there was a penalty. And then they had the other, you know, what is a 30 yard run that he had against the Steelers. And that got called back because of a penalty. It feels sometimes like Lombardi in these deep passes where you don't think it's there in the statue, but you see sometimes it's there. It yeah. just gets called back because of a penalty. I think Larry Roundtree might take the next step this week. Feels like a hunch. I'm not really sure. I, why in particular Eckler's healthy, Jackson will play, I think, or at least a, you know, a significant amount of snaps, but I feel like they're trying to get him more involved and he got more involved. Like definitely against the Vikings. and It wasn't great, but you know, it wasn't really a big rushing day for anyone. And then he had a really good run against the against the Steelers. Even yeah. on a Herbert Scramble, went out and blocked ahead of him. Like He turned around and blocked ahead of him. That's a really good on-rookie thing to do. So I have a little bit of faith in him stepping up just a little bit this week. I don't know if it's going to be amazing, but in a couple of really hard-fought yards, and maybe, honestly, for the first time, they can close it out in Denver, which they have yeah. not done, I think, since 2013, Yes, they did win in 2018, but the Denver Broncos weren't playing. They're, like They didn't care. The Chargers didn't sit. They sat half their starters in the second half. But I think Roundtree is a guy who they sort of leaned on against the Raiders. And in the same way, I think they can do it against the Denver Broncos. Lean on him. I think he can be the X factor because if he performs well enough, especially at the end of the game where they probably have a lead, and he'd be big in closing this game out.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that because, you know, I think he had a good run against like the Raiders too that got called back or some, or one of the other teams early Could in be. the season. Um, so <laughs> unfortunately just getting, uh, you know, penalized in the, in the worst way possible again for Larry Roundtree. But I, like I, I'm a fan of Larry Roundtree, right? Like I think you know, I really liked him coming out of the draft. He was my sleeper running back for a reason. And I, I thought that he runs hard. I like the way that, you know, he attacks those things. I think the way that they've used him is just a little off, right? Because it's a lot of dive, it's some tosses. That's not really the way that you use a running back like him. I think you use him more in the inside zone and outside zone kind Mm -hmm. of scheme where, you know, he's able to just see one lane and hit it. Whereas if you're asking him to do a toss play, it's just, you know, there's too much Mm -hmm. going on. He's not able to sift through all of that chaos that's happening. And yeah. so I think if you make things a little bit more easy for him, allow him to, you know, be more involved in the zone scheme, then you can, you know, allow him to be successful. The Chargers uh, and a ton of counters against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. It was like six or seven counters, which is by far the most that I have seen this season. Um, I will talk about that. And yeah, I'm going to do a breakdown on those plays. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but nice. I mean, it was all to Austin Eckler. Like it was great. Like he scored on two of them. But mm-hmm. you can give Larry Roundtree those plays, and I think that just kind of helps him gain some confidence that way Um, because the Chargers do block those counters plays extremely well. Um, So I would like to see them give him some easier opportunities as opposed to, hey, here's this toss play where nobody blocks, mm-hmm. so you have to try and make somebody miss in space. Yeah. Or here's this dive play for the 37th time in your career. Like, make things a little bit easier for Larry Roundtree. I think that will help him a lot.
2: It does feel like a lose lose sometimes within rushing the football. And it felt like that many times this year and mm, sort of for Kelly too. But Kelly feels like more of a vision thing. <laughs> and for Roundtree, sometimes you'll watch him and it's like no one would have had yards on that play. Like, unfortunately, just like no one was really going to get yards. Eckler, yeah. maybe an extra one because it's Eckler. But, you know, I feel like sometimes it feels like the line just doesn't block for him. And they are. So to me, I guess like you pointed out, toss plays, halfback dive, maybe not just plays that this team doesn't run efficiently and he keeps getting them and it looks bad on him so yeah i think a good mix up in what he does interesting that you pointed out all those counters i can't wait to watch the breakdown then i didn't realize that they were running so many Um, that's interesting
1: yeah i I think one of the reasons there and i'll I'll talk about this in the breakdown is like you have matt Feither, who is a fantastic polar and so is michael Mm -hmm. Schofield. i think that's one of my favorite things about michael Schofield is that he's a a fantastic polar so He's just really smart, understands the angles that way. Um, so if this team is going to lean into counter plays in this back half of the season, I'm really excited to see if that is the case, or if they go kind of back to their duo outside zone scheme for the most part. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. I would really like to see that. I think counter plays are just a great way to mix it up and they mix it up in, in terms of like the personnel packages that they ran them out of. So that was one of my favorite things about watching the film yesterday was just the variety in which they used counters specifically and just the run game in general was was very uh, it was it was very complex. It was different. They mixed it up a lot. Um, so I really liked watching the run game on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I think what doesn't get talked about really at all because it's all about Herbert and the passing offense. But Lombardi and this offensive line, which deserves so much credit for this, like you know, I think Lynn could have a good rushing attack with this offensive line or at least the the main trio. You know, they look so much more improved. Maybe it's a different variety of plays. At least with Eckler. Um, but If they can run counter, that'd be great. The game against the Eagles, it wasn't counter, but we talked about this. It was um, Anderson came across the formation on the trap block. It wasn't counter, but everything set up the play. It looked like it was going to yeah. the right. and Everyone yeah. bought them going to the right because they thought that the Chargers were just going to set up the field goal, you know, get to the right hash, no problem. You know, don't lose the football, whatever. But instead they have that Anderson on the trap block. He goes behind actually goes behind filer and gets those 15 yards or whatever it was and sets up a really easy field goal. I love the way that Lombardi, I think, is building this rushing attack. I think it was just very, a lot of inside to begin the year. You know, they didn't really have a lot installed. They don't work on, you know, after contact and whatever, during training camp all that much. But after the bye, it feels like they're really starting to heat up a little bit more outside. Even the toss plays, which aren't great and they aren't working, it's different. They're trying something different. So now if they're working in counters and they're incorporating that more into their offense and it's working, Watch out!
1: Somebody asking about Adrian Peterson. Did I was super busy today. Did Peterson get cut or something?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why, but he, yes, he was cut.
1: (laughs) Man, the Tennessee Titans are a mess right now. I I think the Titans are in trouble, (laughs) like serious, serious trouble. Serious Um, trouble. I think we could see the Colts catch them potentially, which is just wild to say right now. Um, but we can definitely talk about that later. So the other X factor, I wanted to talk about Uchenna and Wosu because he's really been coming on mm. the last couple mm-hmm. weeks. A um, couple of quarterback hits against uh, Kirk Cousins. He had a sack this past week. Um, and it's a good matchup, right? Like you've got the, like I said, Garrett Bowles is on the COVID list. Bobby Massey potentially not playing. If Bobby Massey is playing, I don't know how good he's going to be because he's been kind of a mess for them. Um, but so the backup left tackle that played against the Eagles is a player named calvin anderson and against the eagles he allowed four pressures three hits on teddy bridgewater so it wasn't (laughs) necessarily like a terrible day but Mm -hmm. this could be a really good matchup for chenna and wilson to um really kind of gain some momentum and you know we mentioned a few weeks ago we saw espn's pass rush win rate graphic and he was right there with chase young and so um, the, the win rates for him have been pretty solid, you know, that's kind of consistent with his career. Um, but unfortunately yeah. the production has not, or had not at least up until a couple of weeks ago, really been there on a consistent basis. Now we've seen him have two really good games in a row against, um, the Vikings and the Steelers. So this could be another, this could be a, a good opportunity for him to make some noise. Obviously they're, you know, they need the pass rush to hit home it took them until late in the fourth quarter to really make an impact in that regard. So yeah. I think this could be a good game for Rochenna and Wosu as well. I hope it is. They're
2: going to need it. I'm, I'm glad he's turned it up the last couple of weeks and he really has. Thank goodness because I was, I mean, geez, <laughs> I wanted a run tackle really bad, but I was really concerned after that Patriots game again. It was looking, bleak. Joey, it was looking very bleak. Joey Bosa by himself, double team, triple team over and over again. And Mosu stepped up, like I know it wasn't exactly, yeah. you know, the game plan against the Eagles, that's not like and that's also a very tough, you know, tackle duo to go against. But, you know, since then, he's really come in and held his own. So, yeah, I'm all for a, a good game from him. He wants to get paid. Right. So, I mean, you got to have a good game there. I'm curious what they'll do at the end of the season with him, because yeah, let's say he has a nice, solid trajectory to end the year, you know, and he's averaging, you know, three, four pressures a game, couple of run stops. What do you do? Because we talk about this guy that we really wanted what do you do if Hassan Reddick is on the market as well? Now, personally, Uh, I'd go get the guy who has probably 60 (laughs) pressures right now. Yeah. But what does the team do with a guy who is solid but not spectacular and probably less expensive?
1: Yeah, Hassan Reddick is just, he's fantastic. I think he has like 11 sacks right now. So, you know, he's not like, he's not a crazy pressure guy, but he's just, he gets after the quarterback. You know, I think he's only got only, he's got like 45, 50 pressures, if I'm not mistaken. So, but his, his sack total is really, is really the one that you want. And so, um, you know, that's going to be really interesting. I think, you know, Brandon Staley was very per- profusive about his praise for Kyler Fackrell. Fackrell yeah. has made like three plays all season. <laughs> so, they're, great plays. they're great plays when he pops up, but, uh, it's yeah. one every seven weeks. So, um, I can't imagine that both of those players are, players are back. Um, in Wosu would have to really like, really come on for me to feel like, okay, they can't, the chargers probably can't afford it. Um, so it is going to be interesting. I think and was at this point, even though he's come on the last couple weeks, I still think he's a three, not a two. So I think the chargers mm. do need a true running mate for Joey Bosa still, but I'm yeah. more in, inclined to keep in Wosu now as that third rotational rusher as opposed to what I felt like previously.
2: Yeah, no, completely agree.
1: All right, let's uh, move on to our bolt prediction segment. Again, we've got some questions, and uh, Pedro Ramirez asked a super chat question, so we will get to that. Uh, Just wanted to make that clear, but let's move on to our uh, bolt predictions. Tyler, why don't you kick us off?
2: Yeah, kind of along the same lines of what we've been talking about. I think you know with the weaknesses along the offensive line and the way the pass rush finished, last week and maybe even the way the interior defensive line looked not really a pass rushing group but a solid group and a group that could penetrate i will say that teddy bridgewater gets sacked six times this game i think that's bold ish but also that's that's super bold (laughs) fine whatever but okay the only thing that throws a monkey wrench in that other than the fact that it's six sacks is that they might run it a lot so if he has 18 attempts i don't know if six sacks is possible but you know getting to throw it 25 to 30 times a game Hey, you know, I think it's possible. I think Drew Tranquil is, you know, they're all like these guys are kind of like they were back last week, but they're kind of officially back this week. They're kind of had that game underneath their feet and whatever. So now it's time, you know, Drew Tranquil gets back to being a pass rusher and because your white throws in some work as a pass rusher. I well, now that Sam Junior is out. It's tough to blitz Tavon Campbell. They were trying to do that. I think you can get a couple of other things other than the defensive line, those edge rushers. But yeah, six sacks. It's bold, whatever. It's bold predictions none of us have been right so far i'm pretty sure um you know
1: yeah i think we've come close on a few things but uh nothing like major so um that's gonna be (laughs) i hope you know if they could get to four sacks i'll be thrilled so six sacks would be obviously amazing
2: they'll get four no problem
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh my bold prediction I i think a lot of people have rightfully uh, been a little frustrated with the lack of turnovers. Obviously, the Chargers mm-hmm. have won uh, against the Vikings, but it's been a, a little dry in that regard uh, the last few weeks. I think the Chargers have been close. You know, Tamon Campbell dropped an interception, so did Ron James. Uh, Nasir mm-hmm. Adderley dropped one against Mac Jones. Or wait, was that Mac Jones? Or was that the Eagles game? I can't remember. Adderley should have had an interception in that stretch yeah. too. Um, so it really has been since the Ravens game where we've seen multiple turnovers. And I think Mm. that changes this week against Teddy Bridgewater. I mentioned the offensive line struggles. Um, You know, I mentioned a little bit of, you know, the running back committee. So I I think the Chargers forced the the Broncos to pass a lot in this game. And Teddy Bridgewater has 11 turnover-worthy throws, which is not great. It's not really what we are used to seeing from Teddy Bridgewater. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we see this Chargers defense get three turnovers this week. So I think we get okay. a couple interceptions and we get one forced fumble. So I, I, I've said this, <laughs> I've said this for weeks that Desir Adderley is really close to getting these turnovers. He had one against the Steelers, but Tavon Campbell, you know, got there early. But the secondary oh, has yeah. had their opportunities the last few weeks, and I think we finally see them come down with them. So my bold prediction. Is three turnovers from the Chargers defense.
2: I think the only bolt predictions we've really gotten right is either you or me or both of us in different weeks calling Asante Samuel Jr.'s interceptions or whatever yeah, it is. I, I know Sante's, you definitely a, got one. I had
1: Asante's against the Cowboys. I had Asante for the Cowboys.
2: Yeah, mine was, that's right. mine was the Niners preview, whatever the hell. That's a preseason game. <laughs> it doesn't count. Um, but yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense. I'm, I'm all for it. I th- they are due. Like, this group is too talented to not have a yeah. turnover or two. And this team, you know, we've seen them punch fight for these turnovers. We've yeah. seen Durban James being a great spot for these turnovers. They just haven't been coming down with the football. But yeah, I can see that changing. So six sacks and three turnovers, turnovers—a complete defensive <laughs> dominance from the Chargers who just got roasted by Roethlisberger. But they will dominate <laughs> against the Broncos.
1: To be fair, you know the the Chargers' defense did get hung out to dry in the fourth quarter. They with did the yeah uh, the punt block, the interception, and yeah. the fourth down. So mm-hmm. I, I thought the first half for the Chargers' defense was really really good. I thought the Chargers played pretty well in the third quarter, but man were they hung out to dry in the fourth quarter this week. Um, so we, we uh, will not talk about our league wide picks today. Obviously, Alex is not here. So <laughs> darn, I wanted to pick uh, for him. <laughs> tyler just picks all the underdogs and then you know we make up some ground so we'll uh we'll message each yeah. other we'll get the picks together um and then we'll tweet we'll tweet them out before the game's on sunday or something like that um but let's get into our predictions for this game i forgot to change the thing let me change that really quick live shows <laughs> and all that all right here
2: we oh, go. was it to say Steelers?
1: It still says Steelers, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I, right. I predict they
2: win, yeah, 41 to 37.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, 41 to 27. I, uh, oh, that reminds me, I've got to uh, go find the gift card winner. Forgot to do that yesterday. All right, so, uh, Tyler, what do you think uh, final score prediction for this game is?
2: I believe the last two times I said it would be a very close game defensive struggle thing. One was the Browns, one was the Steelers. Um, So I clearly don't know what I'm talking about because those turn into shootouts. But this is a game that's definitely going to be close. If it's anything other than close, I'll kind of be surprised at this point. I I trust the offense will do a good job. I think the defense, we obviously have confidence the defense can get some stops, get some turnovers, create some sacks, but it's going to be tough. And even with the 17-point lead or whatever it was against the Steelers, we all should have been good. It came down to the last couple of minutes of the game. I yeah. don't think it'll be that much drama, but I do think it'll be close. So look, I think the offense has put it together, but I'm not going to go say it's like 40 points, obviously. And I'm not even going to say 30 points to me at this point, if you win in Denver, you know, on the road in Denver, especially after coming off the high of a really big win against the Steelers. It's all that matters to me. Um, so 27, 24 chargers, I th- it could come down to a field goal and where where better to kick it than mile high.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this is a great situation for Dustin Hopkins. Uh special yep. teams leading tackler from Sunday night. Uh <laughs> Mr. Jeez, so Hopkins. <laughs> can't, can't oh. get over that, man. No, literally, no one else on the team registered a special teams tackle, it was just Dustin Hopkins. So um that was fun. Uh NV talent with a super chat is predicting a low-scoring game as well. Um, he said 17 to 14. So I don't think it's going to be that low scoring. I think it's going to be kind of close, but this is really a game where the chargers should be able to do whatever they want on offense. I'm not particularly worried about anyone on defense outside of Draymond Jones uh, and Mm -hmm. Justin Simmons, who's obviously given uh, Herbert a couple of problems before, Um, but really the the Broncos defense is just, it's not what it used to be. So I, I think that this is a good opportunity for this offense to continue to build on some momentum And I think the Chargers put up a good amount of points. I'm not going to say 41, but I think they'll get close to or past 30. Um, It just kind of depends how the defense is able to get off the field or not. So Mm. I'm going to say the Chargers put up 28 points. And I think because of a couple turnovers here or a couple sacks there, um, they'll be able to kind of hold down Teddy Bridgewater and the passing game to a good enough level. So I'll say 28 to 20 is my prediction.
2: Yeah, I like it. That's that's good. 20. I like that one. That's a pretty solid win. I don't know what the betting line is at this point, but I'll take that. That's a statement win on the road, winning by eight in Denver, even the shorthanded charges sort of are. But no, I think that would would be a really good win for them. And, you know, the next couple of games, sorry, next time they play is the Bengals.
1: Yeah, so it's Broncos and then Bengals.
2: Yeah, they have to, obviously, but they have to win one of these two games. Like I think those are two very big statement games. I'm hoping familiarity helps a little bit here, um, just because that could go against them as well. But I I do think some familiarity helps here. Justin Herbert almost broke the curse last year. His defense didn't hold up, but I think we uh, feel pretty confident about this defense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Chargers are currently favored by two and a half. Um, I, I think it opened at one and a half. So slight favorites i think that's that sounds about right to me
2: yeah sounds good to me
1: all right so i i mentioned uh pedro ramirez is super chat question again thank you guys for sending those um i want to make sure i get the question right so let me scroll up and find it but it was about justin herbert and oh, i scrolled too far shoot i got it on the screen okay thank you he says, "Is it crazy to say that Justin Herbert is playing like a top five QB? I think he's <laughs> back into the MVP race. Hello, Galadriel! Uh, after those three rough weeks, so Tyler, what do you think about Herbert as a top five quarterback?"
2: Okay, if we're assuming that, like, based on a few weeks and not just the last game, like last game, duh, he played like a top five quarterback, and I yeah. think that was honestly one of, if not his best performances. As a quarterback, yes, I know the defense he was playing was short manned, but I really think they could have put up maybe not 41, but a significant number of points because he looked so good as a passer, decision making as a runner, all those things. Do I think he's playing like a top five quarterback? It's close, and a lot of the metrics will say that he is like I think last week he was top five in that composite ranking of EPA per play, CPOE and raw PFF grade. So sure, but I, we're not far removed from a Vikings game where I really didn't think he looked good. And it wasn't a lack of deep shots. Well, it was, but it was a lack of capitalizing on the opportunities that were there. Sort of a hesitancy, going to the check down, that sort of thing. Not letting things open up. Maybe being a little bit confused by the disguises. We're only one game away from that. And the two teams that he's really beaten up after the bye are the Steelers without most of their players and the Eagles, who have a very bad defense. Now you beat up whoever's in front of you. So that, and the, he put up enough points to show that he beat those teams up, but can he do it against a defense like the Broncos, which I think is at least better than the Eagles and the Steelers based on what they had when they played them. Sure. <sighs> is he playing a top five quarterback? I'm going to say no, but I'm going to say yes after they win this week. I think one more game will put him definitively as like a top five quarterback. If it's a good game, especially in, on the road at mile high i think he's close I, I don't think he's playing like like one right now because of the vikings game and the patriots game we're not very far removed from those games and where sure. he didn't look good
1: and you can throw the ravens game in there too yeah so it's been it, it's been a little inconsistent over the last month so i think he has the top 5 talent what's helping justin herbert in this conversation is that russell wilson has been injured and bad Josh Allen yes. has been very inconsistent this year. Um, Deshaun Watson obviously not playing right now, so yeah. I mean, who really is in the top five? I think That's true, I guess, huh? Obviously, you have Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, but he hasn't played in the last month either. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Matthew's not Dak. An argument. It's I would say Dak is close. So I think close. right now, I think right now you've got a group of quarterbacks that are close, and I think Justin Herbert is in that tier of close quarterbacks to the top five where if you argue that he's a top five quarterback, I will not blame you at all. I think totally. that I have said after the Browns game that I thought that he was, and we saw a little bit of inconsistencies pop up. So I think he has top five talent. I think we've seen glimpses of that top five. Of course, I haven't even mentioned Patrick Holmes yet, which is, is kind of crazy, but um, <laughs> outside of the turnovers, he's been generally fantastic. Yeah. Um, So I I think there is a legitimate argument for him. I think if you're, you know, asking like general top fives, I think you still have to say Brady, Rogers, Mahomes as the top three. And then really Mm -hmm. it's, it's a bunch of everyone. Like if you argued to me that Dak Prescott was the fourth best quarterback in the league right now, I would understand that same thing with Justin Herbert, same thing with um, Kyler Murray. So I think Justin Herbert is in the conversation. I personally, I would like to see him be a little bit more consistent in the next few games.
2: Yep, that's all I ask for. One more good game, I think you put right. himself back in that top five. They were very consistent, like against the um, you know, that that stretch they had earlier in this year. Probably the Cowboys game wasn't that great, but you had the Chiefs, you had the Raiders, and you had the Browns. Very good stretch of games for him, and that's when he entered the top five conversation. We all think he's a top ten quarterback. There's no question about that. But yeah. one more game against the Broncos, and then definitely if they beat the Bengals, and it's because of him. Yeah, top five.
1: Yeah, I think there really is like there's no one in in the league that has really like established themselves as the clear-cut MVP right now. So everybody kind of had that as Kyler. Kyler's been injured. You know, they win two games with Colt McCoy. Um, So I think that's kind of died down. Derrick Henry is injured now. Like people are convincing themselves that Jonathan Taylor is the MVP at this point in the season. So. Listen, if, if Justin Herbert really comes out here in the next month or so and continues to play like he did against the Steelers, then he's going to have a legitimate you know, argument to be the MVP this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm i not ready for top three. I, I think he's got a legitimate conversation for top five for sure.
2: Ooh, MVP though.
1: <laughs> Will
2: Allen turn it around? It's so funny to read the description from, I think it was PFF Seth, about um, Josh Allen's situation. It's like, well... They used to do the first of all, they I guess they started treating him like Brady initially, which is interesting because they did the same thing they did with Herbert, right? They showed Herbert's passing chart, Breeze passing chart. That was that article. Now they're talking about Josh Allen and they showed Brady's passing chart and Allen's passing chart, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> I guess that's the thing now. If you have a strong arm quarterback, show their passing chart like a weak arm quarterback. Not that Brady is a weak arm, but you know, but um, where
1: was I going with that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, <laughs> it was a great point, and I forget where I was going with that. That's okay. I um, I think I know where you're kind of going with the general idea, but I, I, obviously, I listen to the Athletic Football Show every single week. It's it's my favorite NFL podcast to listen to, um, mm-hmm. and those guys do a great job of of breaking down a lot of things. And you know, it, it's interesting looking back on things, right? Like because we were all Brian Dable guys, but yeah. That offense met this year. And the way that the you know the uh, athletic football show guys were talking about it, it's you know the the Brian Dable has become just a vertical passing game madman, and he refuses to do anything else. And you know they mm, have the receivers wow. to do it, really? but teams are are really playing the too high shell. They're giving them the Mahomes and Herbert treatment. They're really trying to shut that down. I'm not going to say dodge the ball with Brian Dable. I still think he's a fantastic offensive minded coach, and I still think he's you know, generally a a very positive leader, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's just interesting because like we all kind of considered Dable as this offensive genius last year. Now they're kind of all in on like this air raid vertical passing Mm -hmm. game and it's not working. And the bills are, you know, they are no longer in first place in the division. They have a brutal three game stretch coming up with the saints, Patriots and Buccaneers. So it's just interesting, right? Like the Chargers obviously hired Brandon Staley. They kind of of surprised a lot of people. Brian Dable was kind of considered the favorite. And, you know, Dable is all in on the deep vertical passing game. People are criticizing Lombardi because he doesn't do it enough. So it's just a lot of interesting, you know, crossover there.
2: Yeah. It almost feels like if we talk about Brandon Staley, and we did when he was first hired, we talk about him as an innovative one-step-ahead coach. Is this offense actually one step ahead? Like it's not what we think it is. But to Staley and what he believes is going to be the future of this league, is this actually the next step? Now, you know, some of it's frustrating. Like, stop throwing a fucking wide receiver screen. That is not the future <laughs> of the league. But this idea that you take in this quarterback and letting him operate with his brain first and then let the arm talent shine because of his brain, you know, I'm actually curious because, like you said, Dable, like Dable. Was my co- my coached candidate number one, and it yeah. made a ton of sense. You have Justin Herbert, and you had Dable, who turned around Josh Allen, and he was fifty percent of Josh Allen's success easily. The other thirty percent felt like Stephon Diggs. I mean, they really surrounded him with good talent. They made it work, but then, you know, like you said, they they haven't changed. They haven't they haven't adjusted to the future of the league, which is okay, you got a big arm, that's fine. We'll put two guys back there and good luck. And and <laughs> yeah. and they're not adjusting. And then, you know, the Chargers had such a great plan with this. Like, yeah, the deep shots aren't there, but they're also protecting their quarterback. And it sounds like the Bills have not really invested in that no. front group to block for him. So the Chargers are, it seems like, and this might be far-fetched, but it seems like they're just ahead of the game. They're going, let's, okay. You're like, I know you can do these deep shots, but let's be a quarterback for all the metrics, for all the analytics and all these great things, you know, yeah. drive down the field as you can. And we'll protect you with an offensive line. And the, the Bills had their quarterback, had their coordinator. Obviously, it's a good combination. We can't deny that. But they have not adjusted. They have not taken that next step forward. And the league might pass them by because obviously right now they're struggling. They put up six points against the Jaguars. <laughs> like that's, that's dreadfully disgusting. Yeah. And part of that was the offensive line, whereas the Chargers are going, listen, we're going to do this kind of offense to beat. The, to, they're ahead of the game to counter the defenses they expected to be facing, so they're ahead of the game right now. And they draft or sign an offensive linemen. I really think it's a smart plan. It's obviously working so far.
1: Yeah, it really is an interesting point because the Chargers' efficiency numbers are fantastic. I said them at the incredible part of this, our part of the show. You know, your third in DVOA, your second in EPA per play, your first in EPA per drive. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that we all wanted to see from Justin Herbert in this offense this year was allow him to be more efficient, right? Because last mm-hmm. year it was, you know, terrible on first down, terrible on second down. And you're <laughs> asking Herbert to win on third and eight third and nine third and 10 on every single drive. And so mm-hmm. of course you're going to have, you know, more deep plays, right? Because you're always in third and long. That's so, mm-hmm. you know, this, this offense is so efficient right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the first year of the offense. So next year, right? Like Herbert's going to be more comfortable. Presumably you get a franchise right tackle to go along with your franchise left tackle. Yes. Hopefully add a running back. Hopefully add some more speed, uh, uh, speed Mm -hmm. that actually can actually result in production, (laughs) not just Jalen Guyton. Um, So this offense right now, like it's, it's not like a complete offense in terms of the roster, but the efficiency of this offense is really what's making it go. So I think that is an interesting point because so many people in the league are playing this too high shell, limiting mm-hmm. deep shots, and the Chargers are just taking what the defenses are giving them and saying, okay, we're just going to kill you with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and Mike Williams and Donald Parham after the catch. And then next year, we'll add a running back, we'll add a deep a deep threat, and we'll continue to protect our quarterback. So I do think that's a really interesting conversation to be had.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it wouldn't pass me... It wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past Staley, who always talks about different sports and the books that he reads or whatever. it yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him to treat this offense almost like a Muhammad Ali, you know, rope a dope sort of boxing sort of offense where you know listen, you want to see the haymakers. you want to see, you know, Tyson versus Fury or whatever, just beating the crap out of each other. But it's more than that. You have to jab. You have to jab consistently. You can't just throw haymakers. You have to be precise and do whatever. whatever. I wouldn't put it I wouldn't put it past him to have that sort of same philosophy with his offenses. Let's learn the basics first. Let's jabble, jabble, jab. And then we'll work on the haymakers and we'll put together the best offense. And so, you know, kind of sucker him in with all sorts of things. Now you have these kind of killer shots. You have (laughs) the kill shot that they work into it. Right. The, The 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 RPO action throw to Williams or Allen, whoever it is. Now they have the option to run. They're working in counter, like literally counters now wouldn't put it past him. Uh, He's he's a guy who would honestly take different components from different sports and incorporate that into his teaching philosophy and the way he coaches his team.
1: Man, that was a, was not planning that kind of conversation, but that was a great one. So um, (laughs) I think that's a good place to end it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you, Tyler, for joining me today. Um, You know, can't thank you guys enough for the support. We had a fantastic uh, recap episode from the Steelers. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for that. As always, please leave a rating or a view if you're listening to the audio version of this. If you're watching right now on YouTube, please like and uh, subscribe to the channel. We really cannot uh to grow without you guys' support, so continue to do that. Uh, Tyler, thanks again for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with you and your family, uh, and I will see you guys next week.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.